All righty, well, welcome to today's episode of Stop Winging It with your host, Mike Carver. I want to welcome the crowd out there today, and we are excited to have a uh, personal friend with me, uh, Chris Worthwine. Chris is a, uh, he's, he's a man of many, many talents, which we are going to get into as we talk over the course of these, uh, these next few minutes with Chris. But uh, we were sort of reunited recently. The reason I wanted Chris on, and I'm, I'm on a roll with great leaders and great entrepreneurs recently who have been in and out of my life over the course of the last 40 years. And Chris and I reconnected uh, recently when I was back in Indiana. So Chris is on Zoom, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here in Gig Harbor, Washington with our group. And we are, uh, we're talking by Zoom this time. And Chris is joining us from his house back in the uh, back in the Indianapolis, greater Indianapolis area. I think I met Chris 78, I believe, was when I came to Butler University. And so, uh, Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I enjoyed reconnecting, and I can't wait to dig into the topic. I, you sent me your questions in advance, and they're good ones, and I... Uh, I hope people stick around for the answers. Uh, maybe not for what I say, but I know you're going to pull some good stuff out of me. I don't. I don't know. This is this is the beauty of this is I can screw it up horribly, and uh, and uh, and, the, and the audience will still be very very uh, happy that they listen to folks like yourself with your background. It's really not fair to uh, to have Chris try to go through. If you if you went to LinkedIn or any other source to find Chris's bio. You'd be 10, 12 pages deep trying to figure out all the things he's done in his life. Um, I will succinctly say that he is a, a, a serial entrepreneur. He is a guy who loves um, learning and loves doing new things. He found a passion in marketing. He ran a company, 5Medicom, for close to 40 years. Um, and that was a marketing company, mostly business to business in the science and technical arena as a marketer. That's a big part of what I wanted to have him on for, um, uh, that area of his life. He's also an award-winning author. Um, he's written several books, uh, Brand Busters. He's written the, the People-Powered Brand, which I recently read, which was published some years ago, 2014-ish. And uh, it's so relevant today, even more relevant today in a world of uh, dominated by social media. Uh, the People-Powered Brand is, is a fantastic book about branding. Um, he is a personal friend um, of the late Pete Dye and his wife, Alice, and in fact wrote a book about uh, the golf club um, that they all uh, were a part of there in Indianapolis. And we're going to get some more on that one as well from Chris um, a little bit. He is, uh, he's been a part of uh, a whole lot of activities um, in his life. Um, besides being an author, he's a contributing writer to entrepreneur.com. Um, which is uh, the most widely used online website, you know, by entrepreneurs in the world. And so uh, uh, Chris is nothing if not um, able to use his talents in many, many ways. He's got a few other talents, too, that I hope to dive into later. He's a man of musical talent, uh, which we'll hit uh, in a while. He's a man who's loved golf his entire life, um, started early and has been playing, and that's where we hooked up again. Um, just a few months ago, back in Indiana, I got to play a few golf courses together. And so, uh, Chris, um, as we start this out, thanks for taking the time. You're a busy guy, and I really, really do appreciate uh, being with me today on the episode. Glad to be here. So, 
I'm going to start back at Five Metacom, the company, and uh, kind of dive in a little bit from the beginning. You came out of Butler University where I met you and all of a sudden took off and you were in an organization. And then it didn't seem like, you know, a day and a half went by and all of a sudden you seemed like you were running the organization. I know that's not true, but help me understand maybe the early years at Five Metacom. Why marketing? What was the, uh, you know, what, what was it that, that got you to the marketing area uh, in the beginning? Well, we met in, in college at Butler University, and I was a journalism student. And uh, I, I chose journalism because I needed to have a degree, and I could write. So I thought, well, I'll do that. But I didn't have anything really big in mind other than I enjoyed my time in college. And I figured at some point it'd be helpful to have a degree. I got out of school and became a writer for a magazine and didn't stay with that very long. I started a little tiny company with a couple other guys uh, that you know as well, my brother and Ken Honeywell, who you know. And we wrote, uh, we wrote commercial you know, advertising uh, copy words for people. That's what we did. I eventually went to work for a guy who ran an advertising agency who was a professor at Butler as well. He taught a couple of courses, but full-time he was a, a, ran an advertising agency. And one thing led to another and I went to work for him as a writer. And then uh, you made that sound very quick and easy, but it was certainly not quick and easy going from a guy who knew how to write a few things to running a business, being a partner in a business, and then eventually owning all of the business with and my dad told me one thing, look, I don't care what you do at school, but you make sure you take accounting. Well, I didn't take it. <laughs> well, we all took it. It's just that somebody else took the finals for us. So. <laughs> didn't learn a thing about business. I never thought I'd be a business guy. I never thought about it. And then somehow yeah. I got in the middle of it and it became very interesting to me. And, and you know, maybe what I studied in, in school was, you know, some folks studied uh, how to be uh, – good at business. So they learned business, right? I didn't take any of that. My classes were about pretty much how to think. And uh, both logically, I took, I took uh, philosophy classes and things like logic and so forth. And then creative, right, right. which was, you know, writing and things. So there, there are two pieces of it. So I think you can get into business by learning business, or you can get into business by learning how to think and communicate. That's the path I took. So uh, how did it end up being marketing? Uh, you know what? I guess I just kind of followed it. I didn't have any big plan. I kind of said, well, I, I think I'm an opportun opportunist. And if something mm -hmm. comes to me, I'm going to figure out uh, how I can make it work well. And uh, okay, I wrote for a magazine. That worked okay. Had an opportunity to be an advertising guy. With that, it worked okay. Walked into my boss's office one day and said, hey, uh, I kind of like to own a chunk of this place. I don't even know what I was thinking. I really don't. I didn't. <laughs> and he said, yeah. well, gee, if you got that kind of desire, uh, sure, why not? Uh, that's the company I owned and ran for 40 years. So uh, who knows? I was just following opportunity more so yeah. than having a map all drawn out with everything figured out in between. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great intro to how people sometimes get started in the world looking at uh, opportunity. And, and, and being working hard and being persistent, you know, maybe a little bit of good luck along the way, that's usually what ends up happening. And um, certainly a little bit of that happened throughout most of my career as well. Right place, right time. I remember at one point I was with Abbott Laboratories and had five fraternity brothers that were in the same company. 
we couldn't figure out what was going on. There was some sort of a honeypot there at the end of the rainbow. But, uh, you know, then for the next 20 years, it became, well, I know so-and-so, or I know I'm familiar with so-and-so. And that networking just kind of continued kind of throughout my career. My guess is you get into it and you start to run the organization. Maybe take us through some of the early bumps and bruises, things that you learned OJT that just that don't come naturally. Things things that you have to kind of go through and experience um, in order to come out the other side and go, oh, that's how that works. Well, first of all, I want to say it took about nine years uh, to get from you compress it. You said, hey, I kind of turn around and you're running this business. Well, it was anything but uh, successful. Uh, when I started, it wasn't a very good business. I wouldn't say it was a great going concern. And uh, it didn't take me long to figure out the guy that I went to work for had been my professor. I don't think he knew anything about this. <laughs> he didn't really know much <laughs> about, about what he yeah, was yeah. doing. He was a good guy. He had high integrity, but he didn't know much. And so I thought, especially he didn't know much about our craft, our chosen profession, advertising. Right. Well. He, he had a degree in biology. He had been a biology teacher. And so he didn't know much about this. And I, I, here I am. I'm a couple of years into this. And I go, you know, I'm working for a guy that I know more about this than he does. And I'm 23 years old. Not good. <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable yeah. with that. So I said, I better learn this. And I became a reader. That's what there were back then. There were books. And I read books 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 about yeah. marketing and advertising, what's it all about. And so I got to learn that. Uh, as I said, a couple of years in, I, I became a partner for a, a pittance of amount of money. And I think he was probably laughing at me because he said, man, you know, this thing ain't running too good, but sure, I'll take your help. But once I got in, um, I said, well, if I'm going to do this, we're going we're gonna to learn how to do it well. So I would say the, uh, the first nine years was figuring out how to be good at our craft. That's sort of the product offering and our services. That's one thing. The second thing is I didn't know anything about business. I did not do what my dad said. I did not take an accounting class, nor did I take any other business classes. So yeah. I had to learn how business worked. One of the great things that came to me as far as uh, being able to learn how business works uh, was the fact that I worked with clients to help them market and sell their products. And, you know, if you read people like Peter Drucker, you know, there's only a couple of functions of the business and marketing is one of them. It's finance, yep. marketing and production. That's it. And so most companies are highly interested and focused on selling and marketing. And so when you get involved with those people, as I did as a person helping them with their marketing and advertising, I learned how their businesses ran. I can remember I had a client, Mike, who uh, she and her husband owned this business, which turned out to be a very, very, uh, very successful business that sold and is still remnants of it in business today. Uh, and mm -hmm. they started it with their own two hands. And I remember sitting in marketing meetings with her and she had in front of her a stack of checks to sign by the hundreds. So she had run this business for 20 years and she was still looking at every penny that went out the door. Now I learned that lesson. And the lesson I learned was for the first 15 years, I signed every check and you even know my CFO. And I trusted him uh, as much as I trust anyone in this world. And I wouldn't let him sign the checks for the first 10 years he was with me. 
And, <laughs> and it's one thing, you know, I didn't care about the checks coming in. I figured they'd get deposited. It's that money going out that that tells you a story. And I saw her, this lady who ran this division, it was an agriculture company, by the way, which was unusual for a mm -hmm. female to be running that 40 years ago. Right. She knew where every penny went and, and things would click and she would pick, pick up an invoice and sign the check. And you could tell, hang on, I'm going to follow up on that. So I learned a lot from that. Um, right. That, that's right. how I kind of got to learning the business side was really more so for my clients. What's the business the situation they're facing? What's competition all about? How can we exploit our advantages? Where are we weak? How do we use a sales organization? What does manufacturing and R&D and finance have to do with all this? I got to see all that under the hood as a guy who was helping them with their marketing and advertising. And I applied that back into my business as well. And today I, I consider myself a business person more so than a, than a marketing person or an advertising person. Right. You've seen, you've seen all sides of a business now. You understand what goes into making a culture, making a brand, along with making a product. You got to make a product. Um, you know, it's got to be done well. But uh, the, having a great product doesn't guarantee success. <laughs> we just know that. So. No, it doesn't. Uh, there's a lot more to it. And uh, you mentioned a couple of books. I've written a new book. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah, it's really marketing and differentiation that makes things happen in the marketplace. And so, uh, yeah, you can have a great product, but if people don't believe it's that way or it's different, uh, not a lot good is going to happen. Right. And so as you're learning and as you're going through and you're, 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 you're picking up people, you're growing, you're, you're getting new customers, what is it that, what was the value proposition that 5 Medicom maybe developed over time? that sets you apart? Why, why were people now coming to you or why were you being taken more seriously on a large scale uh, with big customers? Um, whereas maybe five, 10 years before that, you know, there wasn't much there to look at. No, you know, when I started, uh, I had a funeral home as a client. I had a bowling alley. And you know what? I wouldn't trade that for anything. I can think of a guy who ran the bowling alley uh, that I, I helped him do his advertising. And I would go have a meeting with him every week. And the data that he had to analyze his business was unbelievable. This was 40 plus years ago. He would look at his sales on a day and he'd go back over the previous day, several years back. That This day, yeah. Wednesday, the 23rd, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, he would see what that looked like. In addition, he, would, he kept track of the weather was it raining that day? Was it cold? Was it this? And he kept other parameters. And the reason he did that is that and he knew his business. When it rains and it's summertime, people have to stay indoors. So I don't want to look at a sales number and not know that it was raining that day. That sales number didn't mean anything unless I knew the, we the weather. So uh, Interesting. Yeah. A fascinating guy. Smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> really? the door and say, hey, what's Charlie over there? No. He, he runs a bar. That has they sell beer while guys are bowling. I'll tell you what, yeah. one heck of a smart business guy. The guy that ran the funeral home, smart business guy. The guy that ran the bicycle shop, smart business guys. All yeah. of them. And uh, you know, if you, if you're curious and you treat it like you you got a learning opportunity, uh, you, you can really learn a lot. But I guess the I would characterize you, you kind of said, well, how would it go from A to Z or whatever. I would characterize the first nine years of 
as uh, as sort of failure and learning uh, while failing and not doing a very good job and working with small clients and and not charging a lot of money and not making a lot of money. In fact, you know, going months sometimes without paychecks, working seven days a week, month after month after month after month after month after month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember taking a Sunday off once. Uh, it was a six month stretch. And I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I needed to have worked that day, but I, but I didn't, I took a day off. But um, so I, I characterize that first nine years as figuring out how to even be marginally competent at my profession. Because I said, my boss didn't know anything about it. I had to learn it. And so I think right. after nine years, uh, I kind of got there and, and I, I got a significant client or two because I now knew what I was doing uh, from the craft and profession of marketing and advertising and market research and so forth. Right. And then probably the next uh, 10 years or so, I would characterize that as hero ball. Okay, now that I know how to do this, I'm just going to push and shove and work 80 hours a week and make sure everything's perfect and check everything and not learn how to run a business and delegate and all that. And so for 10 years, uh, it was hero ball. And you know what? Hero ball, if you're, you're really good, you work hard, you kill yourself and you ignore your family. And uh, you can be good at it and be successful and make money, which is what we did. And then at the end of the mm -hmm. hero ball, ball kind of era, I was ready to quit because I, <laughs> so what? So yeah. I make money. I, I mean, I'm a shell of a person. I got nothing but this business. That's all I've done. I've ignored a lot of stuff. And I was, in, I was not in good shape personally although I might've been in good shape as a business and financially. And then the final phase was the, you know what, am I a man or a mouse? Am I gonna fix this or not? I'm gonna have to quit yeah. because I burnt myself out or am I gonna figure out how to run a real business now? And that's what we've done the last 20 years was institute uh, a way of doing business that is repeatable, that has processes, that has methodology, that, uh, that has a way of being and a way of doing business and a culture and a specialization mm -hmm. that is all very unique and different that all fits together. So that's the third phase. And that's where it exists today. Even as I've turned over the leadership and the company to guys who are running it, uh, I work for them now uh, as a practitioner back kind of what I started doing, which I love and, I yeah. love and so forth. And they run the day to day and and they're able to work with the processes and systems uh, that, that we took that last 20 years to sort of build and refine and now operate. Uh, and, and we don't change them a lot unless we have to. So that, that, there you go. Right. There's 40 years. No, that's super interesting. Super interesting. You know, we run into, you know, a lot of clients that we work with are small business owners. And as we, uh, what you just described, I see all too often. Um, the, biz the business owner that uh, just needs to be all things to all people and uh, is not maybe yet self-aware enough uh, to say, this is not my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm this kind of a guy. I'm the idea guy, the invention guy, the product guy, whatever I am, whatever product or service that I started this with and great idea, something's changed. Uh, business has hit me upside the head. It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And, uh, and I need help, but now I'm in that I can't either, I can't afford to go get the help I really need, 
my ego might be getting in the way, which happens. And I'm just going to try and still do it all myself. Um, but reaching out, even to firms like ours, you know, for assistance and coaching and, you know, executive counsel is, is not easy for everybody. When did you, I'd like to dive in real quickly at that transition point. I, I ignored a lot. I worked my butt off. I got the business going. It went really well. Were there people in your life? Were there sounding boards that you used? What clicked for you to go? Um, or was it simply, I just can't keep doing this. I'm about to die. Um, and, and to get you into the, you know, to the next phase that you were talking about. Yeah. You know, I did mention, I learned a lot from my clients. So I, I, you know, I know what you do and what you do is so very valuable for people, Mike, this ability to be a mentor and a sounding board. So I think I kind of had that at least orientation to be open to that. As I was going through the nine years of failure, I, I mentioned the lady who signed all the checks. I mean, she ran an organization that had a, had a sales organization of, Oh, when, when they included their wholesale and dealer organization, about a thousand. I mean, it was a big organization. And wow. she and I would go on the road and call on dealers and, and we would have customer meetings. I mean, I, I was there learning and watching her. How do you treat customers? You know, what is this all about? The thing that I learned from her, and this is all about mentors, and I had a ton of them. I'm going to deal with her for a moment. And then I've got several more I want to tell some stories about because they're so, so very important. But I remember not only did she sign every check, but every year uh, around the holidays, she would write a thousand letters, a thousand letters by hand in person to each of her dealers and said, and, and it wow. wasn't have a nice holiday because she traveled and went to see them and would go with them to their customers. She'd say, Hey, you know, when I was with you in August, you mentioned this about your kid. And, you know, I hope that worked out well. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I can't tell you how valuable you are to our organization. She would sit there and write those letters and stay up for day on day upon day and night and write them every year. I mean, her integrity, wow. her behavior, that matched her, her words coming out of her mouth, which the words coming out of her mouth were, you're important to me, and that's good. But you know what? Her behavior was consistent right. with that. I mean, talk about a mentor that I could learn from. I learned that, that really the integrity was, was everything. That's what she was, and that's a huge part of why they were successful. When I started, it was, I thought, oh, well, they had good advertising, or their product was great. Sure, I hope they had pretty good advertising. We did it and, it, and it was pretty good. And their product was really good. But you know what? Take her integrity and that be behavior and that culture out of it. They wouldn't have been successful. You can buy her product from a ton of suppliers. And people, right. could, but they chose to buy from her. And uh, that had to do with... Yeah, she built trust and relationships. and yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, you yeah. mentioned, yeah. you know, mentors are so very important. You know... I, I have a client today. He's been retired many years. We still have breakfast every few months. He was so important to me. I mentioned him in the, in the dedication um, to my first book. And he's one of the stories in my second book, uh, The People Powered Brand, that you read about. You, I'll tell you which yes. story it was later. But it was so he was so important to me. And I learned from him. What I learned from him was how fearless he was. He was not fear. He did not fear anything. I remember one time 
He said, you know what? We need to go talk to this guy. I said, wait a minute. What do you mean? He runs one of your biggest competitors. He's the president of the company of one of your biggest competitors. He goes, yeah, he's a smart guy. We want to go talk to him. I said, wait a minute. He's not going to sit down and talk to you. Why would he tell you? There we are. A week or so later, we hop in a car. Three hours later, we're sitting in his office, one of his biggest competitors. And that man's telling his life story and his company's story just as I'm telling it to you. And it all happened. Steve, my mentor, my client that I learned from said, you know what? Why wouldn't I pick up the phone and call him? Why wouldn't I say, hey, I respect you. You've done a great job. I'd love to get to know you better. And he did. And, and I got to be there and learn from that. I not only learned from him who picked up the phone, I learned from that other guy too. Right, right. You know, yeah. my first guy I went to work for, you know, I told you, I didn't feel like he knew much about what he was doing. But one thing he did know, I don't know how he knew it, but I remember when I was a young guy and I was writing copy, I was a copywriter. Somebody called right. him one day and it was, it was a small business. And for some reason, he went in my office and said, hey, go call on this guy. He wants some advertising help. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. He goes, well, you'll figure it out. And so I go meet with the guy. I'm a writer. I figure out, he tells him about his company. He makes some sort of gizmo that he sells to printing companies. He's, and he needs a sales letter that's going to go out to distributors to get him to stock his product. And so I kind of, okay, tell me about it. I spend like three or four hours with him. We, you know, we look at the product. Well, I come back to the office. And I, my boss said, well, how'd it go? And I explain it to him. He goes, what are you going to do next? I said, I don't know what to do next. I'm a copywriter. He said, well, <laughs> you're going to have to go tell him what you think you can do for him and what it's going to cost. So why don't you go think about that for a bit and then come back and tell me what you're going to tell the guy. Well, I thought about it. I went back in his office. And I said, well, I think he needs a letter going out to his distributors that explains some of the benefits of his product. And I can write that letter. And, and I've thought about this. And you said I should figure out what it should cost. And I, I'm going to charge him $100. He goes, $100? You can get $100. I said, well, I don't know if I can, but that's the number. Well, of course, that was a ridiculous amount of number. I'd already spent way more than that in the meetings. But you know what? I went back to him and I told him, here's what I'm going to do. And it's going to cost you $100. And he said, yes, I did it. Probably spent thousands of dollars developing it. Yeah, in time. <laughs> sent him a bill, sent him a bill for 100 bucks, and he paid it. And you know what? Look at what my boss did for me there. He didn't say, well, here's exactly how you do it. He goes, I don't know. You figure it out. He gave me a little yeah, bite. He empowers you. Yeah, he empowered me to do it. And he knew if I screwed it up, it didn't matter. If I'd have said $10,000, he probably would have said, well, that sounds right. Why don't you tell the man? And if I'd have said $100, which was a ridiculous number as well, he said, that sounds pretty good. Why don't you tell the man? And I did. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great story. Great mentor. Yeah. I, I got another guy. You talk about pricing. You talk about mentors and Mike, why what you do is so important. Um, I have another client. I remember I, I, I had done a little bit of business with a very, very big company, Fortune 100 company, and just a couple of little projects, not a lot of money. And then I had an opportunity to meet the big marketing guy. And I got to know him in a little bit, and I, I mainly asked questions. I was a reporter. I actually did that for a little while. So um, one of the things I've learned is to be sort of uh, Joe Bannon, who helped me write the People Power Brand, says, Chris, you're an ask assertive leader. 
there are tell assertive leaders and there's ask assertive leaders. And um, he said, you're an ask assertive leader. So I, I'm, I mean, that's my nature. I go in and say, hey, what's going on in your business? Tell me about it. How'd you, mm-hmm. what do you like? What's going well? What's not going well? Why'd that happen? So, so I get to meet the guy and he's like, okay, I kind of like where you're coming from. I didn't really say anything. He did all the talking because I think I asked okay questions. But I remember going back to him. He right. said, well, tell me what you're going to do for me. I did, you know, and I, and, uh, I figured I was going to tell him what it was going to cost. Well, back in those days, we had hourly rates, of, let's say X, and it was a small X. I don't know. It was, it was an okay X. We were, we were getting by at that time, but we weren't ringing the cash register so big time. So I went back to my office and I thought about it. I said, you know what? I'm going to charge. I'm going to double my prices. Double. Not, not 10% more, 20%, more, 100% more. I doubled my prices. I went back and I said, hey, Jim, here's what we can do. And here's what it's going to cost. Well, in the earlier meeting I had with him, he told me that the current supplier he had, you know, was falling short in some certain areas. They were a big advertising agency in Chicago. Here, I'm a dinky little guy here in Indianapolis. And uh, so I'm now back telling him, here's what I'm going to charge. He goes, why you crook? That's more than I'm paying that big agency in, in Chicago with a fancy downtown address. I said, well, Jim, I got my notes here. Here's what you said. They're not doing the job for you. They're not very good. It's horrible value for your money. Um, you've said you think I can do the job, and I think we can too. I would think you'd expect to pay more for something that's going to work better that, than something that doesn't. And he just leaned across <laughs> that table, and I thought, I don't know, man. It's either going to. He was a very, very tough guy. A tough. He had that tough guy image too. He'd smash your hand when he'd shake it. He wanted to smash it. Yeah. Boss. He leaned over there and just kind of said, okay, let's get started. That was it. Wow. Now, at that point, my financial fortunes skyrocketed because I had had validation uh, that, you know, this was worth it. But he became a great mentor to to me. He's in his uh, probably 80 now. Just saw him a couple of weeks ago at the Friendly Tavern in uh, the Friendly, yeah, Pilesville, where you've been, and we had lunch. That's awesome. He said, "Chris, said, yeah. how are you doing? Let's get back together." And we're still friends. He's still a mentor. I used to spend hours in his office, not talking business, but how do you look at the world, man? And I learned from him. He's a great mentor. One more mentor story. I got a guy now. He's a great mentor. Was a good friend of Pete and Alice Die. He introduced me in many ways, into the Dye's inner circle. Wayne is a real estate, commercial real estate broker. Wayne is 83 years old, works full-time. Stalling recently said, Chris, last year I had my best year ever. He's been in business 50 years as a real estate broker. He's 83 years old. He is not only a mentor, but I mean, he's an inspiration to me. And I talk to Wayne probably a couple of times a week on all sorts of things. But I really am able to learn from him. Wow. Wow. You've, you've taken it to a new level. Most people are lucky to have a, you know, uh, maybe a family member, you know, <laughs> a father or somebody in their life or a boss that they can uh, have the occasional career advice and some counseling. And, um, you know, here you are uh, setting the bar really high with uh, multiple people throughout your career. I, you know, what my takeaway from that is, one, um, you didn't shy away from seeking it out. You, you knew that there's no possible way I can know everything. I've, 
I've already been at the bottom of this company trying to build it up. I need to know more. Um, I don't know, but it's, I know it's not going to all come from inside, you know, inside my cranium. So you started looking, you found people, you, you took their advice. Um, and, and that was the other thing. You actually acted on it. It wasn't just enough to go listen to them, but you, <laughs> you took it a step further and said, man, that makes sense. I think we can do something with that. And that, uh, that says, says a lot about you. Well, you know, one thing I was thinking about, Mike, before uh, this morning, I got up and was looking forward to this call very much. And and I thought I had somebody say this to me once. He said, you know, you're a you're pretty adaptable. And I was like, he said, in fact, I've worked for a lot of guys and and, uh, you might be as adaptable as it comes. And and I was like, well, it's, it's interesting. I appreciate that. And I started thinking about the difference between determination and stubbornness. And I, I'll tell you why here, because I think I am a very determined person. But if you consider what that means, which is you keep going and you keep going and going and seek success and, and uh, often for my clients. And then later I win when they win. But um, I, I want to yeah. talk about stubbornness because stubbornness is the opposite. Somebody get, you get something in your head and despite all input from others and good counsel and information and mentors and, and clues, you ignore it. That's what stubbornness is. Because people say, wow, you're really stubborn and you really pursue that goal. I, hang on now. What I am is determined. I would not say I'm stubborn. If I get information, I'm on a board now and, uh, and, uh, I had this come up recently. Somebody told me, he said, man, you're really passionate and determined when you get on a path. But he said, the weird thing is when you get conflicting information, you take that in and you're just as likely to say, you know what? I was completely wrong. Now that I've learned this, I think we should go this direction. And uh, some people get stubborn and they fail because of uh, being, being successful, being determined can make you successful. And I think being stubborn can make you, can, can make you fail. Uh, we got off on a tangent there, but I just... No, that's a good tangent because... If, if you're going to listen to these mentors, listen to them. Take their advice. Right. Say, oh, that doesn't fit what I think. Well, what do you know? Yeah. What did I know? The whole, the, the whole point. <laughs> it's in this world knowing nothing, Mike, just as you, you did. We knew nothing that's it. from others. It all came from others. It always comes from others. That's right. And I see too often sometimes the uh, the stubborn business owner or the stubborn person in their career path and they don't want to move. You know, they're stuck, and they're they're gonna they're gonna fight themselves long before they accept the reality that you know, there's a better way through this. And then it just takes time. As people get stubborn, you are right. And I know you and what you can do. And and I've enjoyed listening to your podcast because uh, you have an ability to draw things out of people. And so if there's somebody out there listening and they're like, well, what do I use a wingman for? Or what do I need a mentor for? Well, why don't you find out? You know, you just might learn something. That'd be my advice right there. <laughs> That's the hope, right? That's the hope. That's why we try to have people smarter than ourselves on the podcast, which for me is just a really easy thing to do. But, but anybody I can get on this podcast is going to be smarter than me. But it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to learn from people who have been through it before. And I think, you know, just a slight change in gears then maybe all of the experience leads you to a point where now you've accumulated something and you go kind of go back to your roots. You're a writer. And you got and you got stories to tell, and you feel like I, I got to get some of this out. When did that happen? Maybe maybe the when and the why did it happen? And then just you know a, a brief review of 
you know, the, the two books, maybe the third one on the way before we uh, talk a little bit about uh, Crooked Stick separately from that. So, um, yeah, just kind of walk me through. What were you thinking? And how did yeah? How did that come to be? Um, wow. Um, I guess the, I started on the path of the books to more fully um, sort of explain my expertise or what I know. And I don't want to call myself an expert, but I, I have some things I know. And I thought, well. That's what people do, you know, people who have some knowledge of a subject, you know, if they go through the, the crucible of, of converting that to words and communication to others, it strengthens it, it makes them better, and it also makes the reader, the, the recipient of it better. And I thought, hey, if I have a book out there that talks a little bit about some of the things I've learned and know, that'll help our business. You know, people will be able to say, hey, you know, this is pretty robust. This isn't just hey, he came up with a wacky advertising idea and he's a pretty smart guy. Maybe he'll get lucky again for new. No, there's a method, there's, right. there's a way of doing it, a way of thinking. So I said, I got to get this down on paper. I actually did a presentation for a marketing group and it was entitled like seven mistakes you shouldn't make in marketing. Well, I, I wrote this presentation and when I got done, I thought, I got a book. And <laughs> I did, I, I wrote it into a yeah. book. I had some help. Uh, from a guy who wrote books. But, but then I had the book done. I got me an agent. He was going to sell it. A year later, he hadn't sold the book. And then I was like, you know what? I'm doing this book anyway. I'm going to publish it myself. And then I thought, nah, I'm going to try one more time to get a real publisher. Now, this was back in the days when there was no real, really, there wasn't much in the way of self-publishing. For you to be legit as an author, you had to have a publisher go, I want to buy your manuscript. So I sat down with that manuscript and I picked out three publishers who I thought published uh, and had a good market niche in and around marketing and advertising and market research. I sent three letters. I sent them FedEx. I worked a long time on the letters. I said, you're about to read a book that has never been written before. It has information culled from 30 years of experience that no one has ever shared with any marketer until now. It's in this book. Da, da, da. I tell a little bit about the book. And I stuffed right. the manuscript in there. Um, within a week, two publishers wanted to buy that manuscript. I'm still waiting to hear from the third, but I, I took <laughs> it. That was a long time ago. But I, I obviously took up the offer. I was glad I did it that way. They published my first book. It's Paramount Books there in, uh, in New York. And uh, they published my second book, The People Power Brand. Yeah. They're about to publish my third book, Different Rules. Uh, the B2B Marketer's Guidebook to Product Differentiation. So I did it initially to help my business, and it did. But the last one, the one I just finished today and sent the final manuscript to Paramount, this one is about sharing uh, really what I, what I feel I have to leave behind because it hit me one day, what is this marketing thing all about? I mean, if you had to get it down to one word. And as a 30-year-old, I'd, I'd have given you a 1,000 words. As a 40-year-old, I'd have right. given you 500 words. As a 50-year-old, I'd have given you 100 words. I'm in my 60s. Yeah. I can give you one word. And that is what marketing is all about. And that's what this book is about. So That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I, see, I, I love the, the lifelong leaning into opportunities. And they're just a, a constant learner, a constant reader. Everything about that, just how, how curious you are to want to continue to um, 
to, to not take life leisurely and say, okay, I'm done. I've had a good run. And, uh, now it's, now it's all golf all day. Not at all. You know, I didn't, and I didn't even know that you were working on that. Yeah, you know? I know. I, I, you know, I can play golf a couple times a week. Uh, but, but, you know, I had this idea for this book. It's like, I can't let it go. I got to get it out there. I have to, yeah. I have to get this out, yeah. out there called the man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl about a guy who was in a concentration camp. And he wrote a book after the war, obviously he survived, about why he survived. It's a very short book. And uh, he survived. If I could sort of synthesize what I learned from that book, because he felt he had something left to do that was important. And he was a psychologist and he uh, daily would dream about this book he needed to write, and he envisioned himself standing at the Psychological Academy annual meeting and delivering the message of his book to his colleagues in Germany. Wow. Wow. And he never let go of that vision. And somehow, he ended up alive. And, he's, yeah. and, and, and it's a wonderful book. You should read it. It's Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, I'm not quite on that scale, but I felt like I had something to do there. And I had to write this book, right? That's awesome. If you boil it down, what do you like most about this third book and in, in kind of in the series of you know, the same genre that you've been writing about. What what does it do for you? What does it do for the audience? I'll give you 30 seconds on what the book's about. It's a, it, the name of the book is Different Rules because in marketing, different does indeed rule. When you are different in the marketplace, that is the way you get started ruling. And you know what? There are also rules for how to be different. And that's what this book is. It explains mm. the importance of being different. And it tells you the rules of how to be different. And, and really... The message of the book is this, to win in business to business marketing, and that's all I work in, being different pays. And the first thing I want to say is being different is way better than being better or best. Okay? The second mm -hmm. thing, that's not enough. You have to be relevant. It has to have meaning. It has to deliver some utility to someone. You can't just put on a clown suit and show up at a wedding and be different. That doesn't do anything. You have to be right. relevant. It's easy to be different, yeah. but being different and relevant is what makes things happen in the marketplace. And the third thing about this book is there are rules. There are rules of how to do your message. There's rules to how you do your strategy. There's rules around the creative work that carries it into your advertising and marketing. And there's rules about how to get the entire organization behind this. Well, you said, what's this book and the evolution of it? You know, my book, my book is... Every marketer should understand differentiation. And yet there's no books out there about it. That's the, really the essence of marketing. That's that one word I said this book is about. It is about differentiation. Yeah. And there are scarcely any books out there about it. It had to be talked about. And so I've had 50 years almost of, of working on this, 45 years of working in this arena. And uh, I, I feel like it just hit me one day. I get it. That's what marketing is all about. And I put it in this book, and it's a book that you can learn from and take action on what you learn. Oh, that is awesome! What a great recap from a guy that understands how to from a guy that understands how to give a quick recap. <laughs> well, that's in my other book. It's how you deliver as, as as was outlined the three thirty three thirty method. Look yeah, at him; he yeah, just, just you walk right through his own method. I use yeah. my technique. I love. Yeah, I love that. So much meat, so much good stuff. Well, I look forward to seeing and, and reading that one when it comes out, uh, hopefully maybe even yet this spring and 
and get things organized there. That's a that's a tremendous achievement again for uh, for the uh, for the author. It's, and author it, it's fun when it's done. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I got uh, I got uh, kids and uh, daughter-in-laws and son and sons that are all they're all writers. I'm not quite sure where that came from, but um, uh, one's got a couple of books he's written and he's looking to get a, a, find an audience, right? To find a publisher. The other gal's been, you know, just working really hard down in the LA area, his wife on screenplays. And, you know, she would say, um, and she's going to be a guest in the future with us. She would say, um, you know, what separated herself when we were talking, I just refused to give up. Yeah. There's a whole lot of people writing screenplays in LA. Now, I don't know how to write a screenplay. I don't know the format. I don't know what you do. I don't have a clue. Um, but I know that it is not easy. And you got to appeal to the masses. And she wrote one, and it got picked up, and uh, it's being filmed. And, uh, and, she actually, and she actually got her first payday out of it. I couldn't be more proud because, you know, two, three, four years ago, she's in writing classes with people. She's asking for critiques. She's looking to enhance her craft. Everything you said. She got mentors. She worked hard at it. She, it was a labor of love. She never lost goal, the vision, what she wanted to accomplish. And she refused to give up. She was determined. And everything you said. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. But, you know, you, you got to differentiate yourself. And sometimes that's just your work ethic. <laughs> it's as simple as that. People can get by and win without it. I certainly can't. But uh... nah. No, it's the truth. We see it. We see it a lot. People often have great work ethic. They work really, really hard. Now, are they working smart? Could they could they do things a little bit differently? We hope that's where we come in and we can come alongside people and and, and help them be successful. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to dive in just real quick here um, a little bit on um, the relationship with, with uh, Alice and Pete. And the, how'd the book come about with Crooked Stick? Another um, really labor of love, it sounded like, as you... Uh, as you got to know them, how'd that even come about? Yeah, uh, just just so the people listening, Pete Dye was a golf course designer, uh, designed uh, over a hundred golf courses, many of them legendary, legendary, yeah, legendary, legendary designer, uh, along yeah. with his wife Alice Dye. Well, they created a Crooked Stick Golf Club in Carmel, Indiana, and I'm a member there. And some folks remember Crooked Stick because it's the site of John Daly's victory in the 1991 PGA. And it really kind of put Crooked Stick and John Daly on the map. And uh, we've hosted many, many important tournaments and PGA Tour events and women's events and amateur events and so forth through the years. So I became a member there. And uh, Pete Dye and Alice Dye lived on the golf course. Their home was on the 18th fairway. And every day yeah. Pete and Alice were in town, Pete and Alice were at the golf course. And so we saw him all the time. And I'd only been a member there a year or two. And, You'd see Pete and you'd wave to him. He'd say, hey, how you doing? That's how he talked. And uh, he was pleasant with everyone. Um, but I didn't know him well. One day I'm hitting golf balls on the range. And down at the end is Pete Dye. I don't know why. For some reason, it's Pete Dye and Chris Workwine on the range. And like I said, I'm kind of an opportunist. And so I, I watch him hit balls and I don't want to interrupt him. He maybe takes a break for a minute. I wander up and just say, Hey, Mr. Dye, I've seen you around the golf course and wave to you. Oh yeah. I recognize you. said, I don't think we've had the chance to meet. I'm so-and-so. And we talk, Hey, good to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. I said, Hey, how'd this thing come to be? Did somebody just hire you to, to build this golf course? Well, about an hour and a half later, 
I had the I had the story. <laughs> wow. And that is not at all what happened. Nobody hired Pete Dye to build that golf course. You talk about determination. Pete Dye found the land, knocked on the doors, bought the land, raised the money, got the bulldozer, ran it around, built the golf course, sold the memberships, became the first club president. On and on it goes. The, the story gets more and more preposterous as we go. I remember wow. after, after getting this story, and for some weird reason, when we're out there for an hour and a half, nobody else shows up. It's just me and Pete die. And uh, at the end of it, I said, you know, I, I wanted to know a lot more. It was only an hour and a half. I mean, it's this man's life. And I was like, hey, that, that's an incredible story. I, I'm sure all the members here know that. I, I, I appreciate you sharing it with me. I'm a relatively new member. He's like, oh, hell no. The members don't know that. I said, he goes, they don't, they don't have any idea. I said, well, do you think they should? He goes, well, of course they should. I said, well, how are you going to do that? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, you're going to write all that down? He goes, no, I'm not going to do it, but somebody should write it down. I said, well, do you have somebody to do that? No, I don't have anybody to do that. Even though I knew he had written his autobiography in conjunction with a guy by the name of Mark Shaw, I knew he had a writer that he knew. He said, no, I don't have anybody to do it. And I said, well, uh, I'm a writer. I'll do it. And he stuck out his hand. He said, let's get started. <laughs> but first, let me finish my bucket, okay? I'll, I'll get with you in a second, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, wow. I, I guess, you know, it was this opportunity thing. I was like, I hadn't planned to write a book with Pete. I hadn't even planned to talk to Pete. So That's amazing. Hey, eight years later, the book published. It took me eight years to write. It was a long slog, man. And I was hiding from the dyes the whole time. I spent a lot of time with them at their home and interviewing them, pursuing leads and getting the whole story of how they built this wonderful golf course and how it all intertwined with his career as a golfer and Alice's career and their renown around the world as golf course designers. So, uh, you know, I spent so many hours talking with them. But for much of those eight years, I hid from them because they kept saying, how's that book coming? <laughs> and it wasn't going very well, but I finally got it done because we had a major tournament and uh, I wanted to have a book done so that it could be available to spectators and, and actually yeah. So I wanted everybody who played in that PG, that event, that USGA event to have a copy of Pete and Alice's story. I wanted them to. What a great legacy. And, and you wrote a little follow-up to it as well, didn't you? Yeah. Second edition. Second which, edition. Uh, I, I maybe said to you, this was as hard as the first. I had 40 additional pages, almost 200 new photographs and pieces of information that I discovered and continue to discover. I've got a file in this very computer that says third edition. I don't know. Am I going to do it? But I keep finding stuff and in it goes. So we'll see if it ever happens. Wow. Well, for those that, uh, those who have never seen it, uh, what's the, what's the full title again? Oh, I got it sitting here. It's real long. It's called Crooked Stick Golf Club, a story of the original masterpiece from America's first couple of golf. Pete and Alice die. There you go. I, I, would, I wouldn't have done that justice. Thank you. <laughs> it's my favorite coffee table book. It's beautiful. The pictures are beautiful. And the story is eloquently told by Chris, as always. And um, if you have not, if you're a golfing fan and you know of Pete Dye, which if you're a golfing fan, you know of Pete Dye, um, you should pick this book up. It is absolutely well worth the read and the time. And Chris did a wonderful job on it. So thank you for sharing that, man. Thank you for sharing that very much. You know, we've got, uh, we've been just going back and forth. This is what people do. 
guys that have been fraternity brothers for 50 years and catching up on a whole lot of things. Um, you are, you're just a wealth of information and a joy to talk to. I'd love to switch it a little bit, find out a little bit about the guy behind the guy. So I know you love golf. Um, other than golf, any other favorite hobbies or family activities you guys like to, you guys like to do? Well, uh, and that may include following our own Butler Bulldogs around. I, I, I do know you like to do that too. I Butler basketball, uh, and have for years, uh, you know, when I met Brad Stevens, he was an unpaid assistant sitting on the bench uh, helping the coach. And part of his job was to get students to come to the game. So me and my wife, you know, Sally, we got to know Brad. We said, tell you what, Brad, we'll buy 20 pizzas for you. If you run up and down the road here and knock on the doors of fraternities and sororities and tell them there'll be pizza waiting for them in the stands in the student section tonight. So every once in a while, we'd buy 20 pizzas for Brad. <laughs> Helping get some people in the stands. That was back in the old days, man. Before Brad took over and they and they took off. Yeah. It did. Yeah. It, 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 great people. And and my daughter ended up being babysitter for their kids. And and you know, we we've just been good friends since then. And great guy to get to know. Very, very talented man. What a great guy. Yeah, yeah for sure. All other stuff for I sure. do. Yeah, music. Uh, you know, in high school I was I, I was in, involved in music and so forth. And and even in grade school, and I kind of went away from it for a long, long time. I was a singer, and uh, I'm, I'm 50 years old, and I'm at a church supper, right? And uh, here's another opportunity. So there's a guy, uh, it's like a spaghetti dinner, and they have wine. It's a little fundraiser for church, and um, he's singing up there. He does a nice job. He takes a break. I wander up and say, hey, you're really good. And, you know, we get to talk, and he goes, oh, yeah, are you a musician? I go, oh, no. He goes, what do you mean? What do you mean? No, everybody. So, well, I used to sing. He goes, what do you sing? Ah, this and this and this. He goes, well, do you know this and this and this? I go, yeah, I know that one. I know that. He goes, tell you what, let's take a break here. And you up for doing a little singing with me up on stage here? And uh, I said, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. And uh, <laughs> I hop up on stage with him. And, you know, it's like Beatles songs and, you know, classic rock songs. I know all the words. You know, we picked out a few that I knew the words. Well, we end up going for like an hour and everybody hangs around after the dinner. We're having a big time. I'm like, okay, the thing's over. And, you know, we have fun. And he plays the guitar and I sing. And uh, after it's done, he goes, I said, well, hey, man, that was really fun. Appreciate that. He goes, hey, hang on here. Wait a minute. What's your name? And all this stuff. And he's like, you know, we need a, we need a front man in our, in our band. And uh, would you be interested to come over to my place? We're having band practice next week. And I said, hey, uh, what's a front man? He goes, it's a guy out front who sings. And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll come over. Let's try it. So that was 15 oh years ago. Gosh. And uh, and uh, I've really got my, uh, my my second band now. And uh, we recorded a couple CDs. We play around here in Central, Central Indiana, places like the Indiana State Fair, pubs and festivals and things like that. We have a great time with it. I started writing original music, and we may be recording some of that a little bit later this year. So. Uh, it's just a joy. It's so much more joyful than playing golf, which is frustrating. This thing is just pure joy because you're in the moment. You can't ever stop. There's another note right. that's coming like right. that fast. Golf is right. minutes to, to fume about things, but music's all fun, man. So I do that. We, you know, we just have good for you. Yeah, good for you. And the and the because I love it so much. The name of the current band is the name of the current band is Factory Authorized technicians which we say is your quality music fix i love that <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, we have a ball game. <laughs> again, again, only a marketing guy comes up with stuff like that. I love it. I love it. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. Hey, last thing, maybe. Um, living or, or not, who might be on your Mount Rushmore of dinner guests? Maybe three or four people that uh, that resonate with you over time. Well, you know, uh, Shakespeare was pretty good. Uh, I took Shakespeare. Yeah, I took Shakespeare. Now, now you just signed up for about a twelve-hour dinner, though. But but beyond that, it's okay. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm I'm there for a twenty-four-hour dinner with that dude. Uh, yeah, really good. You know, and I still I still think about that today. Uh, you know, the things I learned and read because of his grasp of human nature, which is really all marketing is. It's understanding human behavior and human psychology and neuroscience, which is all packed into my latest book, by the way. I did a lot of research on psychology and neuroscience, and I packed that into the book because I didn't want this just to be my opinions. But you know, a lot of the things that appeal uh, through Shakespeare's works are well supported by what we know about the way human behavior works and psychology and so forth. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd also have to say uh, probably James Allen, who was a, an author uh, around the turn of the last century, not early 1900s. And he wrote a book called As a Man Thinketh, which is a short little book. And I encourage everyone to read it. It basically says, you know, you're in charge of your thoughts and your thoughts kind of control your destiny. So you might want to think about what you think about. And so... <laughs> Keep it simple, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm looking over at my bookshelf, and there's about 15 to 20 James Allen books over there at various, some of them early editions from the early 1900s. And that book's still wow. in print today. You walk into almost any bookstore and you say, I'd like a copy of As a Man Thinketh. In fact, I had that experience when I was 40 years old. I actually wasn't doing well mentally. I mean, I, I, was, I was struggling, and I, I went and saw a guy for help, and he, right. he said, well, Doc, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, it's not that easy. I said, no, give me something to do. I'm an action dude. He goes, well, you might want to go, uh, yeah, read this book. It's called As a Man Thinking. And I'm like, oh, what's the deal on that? He goes, I was written in the early 1900s. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, just go in the bookstore and they'll have it. I said, That's, that sounds like BS, man. I wrote down the title. I drove on the way home and I go to the bookstore and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a copy of As a Man Thinking. Oh, yeah, it's right over here. So they <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> 120 years later. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. I read the book yeah. that night. You can read it in an hour, a couple hours. And uh, my life right. changed from that uh, point forth. But uh, that's a, uh, so I'd like to have him. That's a neat story all by itself. Yeah. 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 I only got two guys. I, that's a small Mount Rushmore, but th that's probably plenty for now. I'd probably fill it up with a lot of other guys too. Going to be, going to be a healthy conversation. It sounds like either way. <laughs> I hope so. They're word guys, right? <laughs> yeah exactly exactly all right chris this has been awesome this has been awesome we've just had a great time catching up and reminiscing but more than anything just learning from all the trials and tribulations you've been through and uh, i think that's what the audience appreciates is uh somebody who's willing to you know to sit down and share from the soul a little bit about uh, it's not always easy and there are there are some key things some behaviors some characteristics some some points in your life where you got to sit up and take note and, and figure out who you are and what you want to do. And uh, thanks for sharing all those with us. It really means a lot. Well, I had fun. And, you know, that's a big part of, of being successful, I think, is, is enjoying it, too. So I, I, I always love hearing from you, Mike. And, and I, I know that uh, I, I look at what you do here in this interview, and I just think about what you're able to do for people. And I, I think it's really special and 
go, man, go. Godspeed to you because people will be helped by uh, by what you're able to do for them. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate that very much. You know, it's I learned a lot from the people that went before me. So hopefully, I can turn around and pass some of that around as well. And like you said, asking good questions is at the core of all of it. It's at the core of all of it. So um, there's a lot of interesting people out there. I hope that that uh, the podcast is well received. I know that I really appreciate you and your time and uh, and the efforts you put into preparing for this. So uh, we want to thank you. We want to wish you uh, Godspeed on the rest of your journey. Many more books. Uh, much love to your family and everything that's going on with you guys back in Indiana, okay? Pleasure. Okay. You take care, Chris. We will talk again soon, my man. Well, there's an awful lot of material in that podcast, and I know that you're probably like me thinking, wow, how do you parse that out? I want to thank Chris for all the words of wisdom, and I took a few notes, and I wanted to maybe peel that back just a little bit for the audience. I felt like Chris covered three or four really key things in there that are worthy of just mentioning again. One is always be an opportunist. Everybody you meet, everybody that's in your life, um, whether you're calling on them or they're calling on you, you can learn from somebody. Be curious. Ask great questions. Be a student of human nature, always trying to find ways to find new opportunities. That's definitely one of the things he talked quite a bit about. Another was, look, your behavior has got to match your words. Integrity means everything. And if you're going to say that you're important to me, it's hard to say if you're talking all the time and not listening to somebody. And I just feel like he talked about several people in his life where their behavior matched their words and it meant something to him. They were listening and they were great coaches. Along the coaching line, he spent quite a bit of time talking about four or five key coaches that he had that were mentors in his life that were so important to him. And he learned to cultivate that and to keep those people in his life even up until this day. And that's a wonderful thing. And, of course, that's what we try to do here at Wingman is to be adaptable and, and to be uh, coaches and mentors to those that we come in contact with as well. So if you're looking for somebody to help you in your corner, check out Wingman Associates. We would love to be your wingman. I want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to listen to this podcast. We appreciate Chris's time, and we'll see you again on a future podcast of Stop Winging It.